Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hey, all Before we begin, a couple quick announcements. First, I'm doing an end-of-year show with crypto predictions for 2022 by you. Please make a video or at least an audio recording of your 2022 crypto prediction or predictions and email it to hello at unchainedpodcast.com by end of day, Tuesday, December 28th. Please include your name and where you're from. Unfortunately, I need to give a forewarning that if you excessively promote anything, we will not be including your prediction. If you just want me to read on air a prediction that you just send in by email, that's okay too. It's just a little bit less fun. Don't forget the deadline is Tuesday, December 28th, and the email address is hello at unchainedpodcast.com. And please put crypto prediction in the subject line. Also, a reminder my book is coming out 22222. If you're looking for a holiday gift, you can pre-order it now to deliver it later. Pre-order sales really help the book that first week to help establish further demand and get it on any lists. I would so appreciate it if you would buy the book. The Cryptopians has lots of news that has not been known before. I promise you, you will enjoy this read. Pre-order The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze today at bit.ly slash Cryptopians. That's bit.ly slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S. Thanks, and here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they say on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the December 10th, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. Wish you could earn crypto, but don't want to spend thousands on hardware? Just download the Nodal Cash app on your smartphone. Visit nodal.io slash unconfirmed. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unconfirmed to start earning Nodal Cash today. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. Tired of your exchange taking 25% of your staking profits? The Avado blockchain computer allows you to stake Ethereum and other crypto at home and keep 100% of the rewards. Go to ava.do. Today's guest is Jeff Dorman, Chief Investment Officer at ARCA. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, thanks for having me back. So this has been a dramatic week for SushiSwap, culminating in CTO Joseph DeLong's resigning from the decentralized exchange. Before we get to that moment, why don't we give listeners some background and you can just tell us how it is that you came to start even working with SushiSwap and how you see your role there. Sure. So Arca is a full service asset management firm dedicated exclusively to digital assets. 
Uh, we make investments in a variety of different strategies at Arca that uh, some are early stage ventures, some are more uh, uh, yield generating, others are more long-term equity-like returns in the businesses uh, and projects that are being developed within digital assets. Um, and we're thematic uh, in the terms of there's certain areas of digital assets that we like better than others. And we are always pretty hands-on. We, we really want to help the teams that we work with and we want to be supportive uh, of the projects that we believe in. So um, truthfully, Sushi is not unique or different in than anything else that we've been involved in, um, in the sense that it fits a theme in a sector that we've uh, been bullish on for a long time, which is DeFi and specifically uh, decentralized exchanges within DeFi. Um, it is uh, fits a fundamental uh, tenant that we are big believers in, which is strong product market fit, uh, a real KPIs and metrics, not something that's you know to be determined. Um, you know, has a real strong community and and has real fundamental values. Um, you know, this is a project that has um, you know anywhere between six hundred million and a billion of run rate revenue. Uh, every year, depending on the uh, the day, there's a little volatility in those numbers. But 600 million to a billion dollars of revenue is is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Um, it has a uh, a real dividend that is paid out to token holders uh, in the form of of X sushi, um, and it has you know billions of dollars of volume every day. So you know this is the kind of dream scenario for us: is fit a theme, fit a fundamental uh, uh, valuation framework. Um, and then ultimately, like any project, they they have certain things that are going really well and certain things that aren't. And, and our job is to help them with the things that aren't. So that's the perfect segue to the recent events in Sushi. When and why do you think this recent trouble started? And, you know, I think I don't mean literally this week. I mean, maybe starting even a month or two ago. Sure. I mean, like most things, the <laughs> what is being communicated on the outside is probably the extreme compared to what's actually happening on the inside. And I know that's a strange thing to say when you're talking about decentralized projects and you're talking about, um, you know, fully transparent projects. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, there, there's, a, there's a lot of people who are contributing to sushi to make it what it is, right? You, you don't get to, um, you know, uh, tens and hundreds of billions of dollars of volume and billions of dollars of TVL and you know, almost a billion dollars of revenue without having really talented, successful people that are working on that. However, decentralized autonomous organizations are still experimental. Um, they're still new uh, and they're not perfect. Um, a lot of people like to look at decentralization versus centralization as fairly black and white. The reality is almost none of them are. Almost everything falls along the spectrum somewhere between central, fully centralized and fully decentralized. Um, fully centralized is rarely a good thing in the sense that you have single point of failure and you have you know one or two people in total control. I think that's you know largely what the entire digital asset movement is trying to get away from. Fully decentralized, on the other hand, is usually not that great either in the sense that it's really hard to get consensus. It's really hard to get things done. Most projects, again, fall somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, usually starting somewhat centralized and moving towards decentralization over time. Um, in fact, if you go back to uh, uh, you know SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce's three-year safe harbor that she put out, I think over a year ago at this point, that still hasn't gotten any traction, that's essentially what she laid out, which is why don't we give these projects about three years to figure out if they can move from centralized to decentralization? 
And it actually makes a lot of sense because you have to have some leaders in the beginning to get to a point where then you can have it more decentralized and more autonomous and, and quite frankly, more automatic. I think with Sushi, it was a little bit of an interesting genesis in the sense that they forked the code from Uniswap and you had a lot of different people come in and out of this project to make it work. And, and again, at the individual level, I think everybody has really made strong contributions to making it work. But like anything, if you don't have a structure and you don't have uh, appointed leaders with any real control or real autonomy, eventually things just get sloppy. And I think that's where we are with Sushi today is they need some structure. There's no reason to take sides. I'm not even sure the two sides are really that even far apart. I think it's more, it just needs some structure. It needs some leadership. And that's what ARCA is hoping to be, you know, one of the calm voices in the room who can get us to a productive way to move forward. And, and we're not alone. You know, there's a outpouring of people on social media and in Discord and in Telegram who also love the Sushi Project who are offering to help. But, we, you know, we ultimately need to do that within the constructs of what a DAO is, which means some things have to go to an external vote and, and some people are ultimately going to have to, you know, be given some of that authority to ultimately move this project forward. So just to give a recap of some of the events for listeners who may not know everything, there was a core, um, I, I'm actually even not sure if he was a core developer. I don't think he was a developer at Zero X Maki, but he was kind of part of the core team at SushiSwap. And in September, he seemed to have resigned, but there was a leaked screenshot from a SushiSwap Telegram group that showed that Joseph DeLong, the CTO who resigned this week, had asked whether or not Sushi should ask him to leave. And according to the poll there, 91% of respondents voted in favor. And so people were saying, you know, he was forced out. It wasn't that he resigned. And later on, someone on Twitter named Boring Crypto, who said that they were a former non-core Sushi Swap developer, tweeted that Zero X Maki was kicked out and said, quote, most of the good devs have left. Seems like greed, sadly, has taken over from community. What's your take on on that characterization of events? Uh, sure. We are an asset manager and we're a pretty hands-on advisor, but we don't work there. Right. If 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 every single problem that any employee or customer had at every single company in the world was given a platform to put it out there publicly, you'd have the same conspiracy theories and the same, you know, dichotomy of of he said, she said, as you're seeing with sushi. You know, I, in some ways it's unfortunate that some of these things have come to light. In other ways, it's great that some of these things have come to light in the sense that that's the spirit of decentralization is that we want to get as much information and facts out to the public in a transparent way as possible so that the stakeholders of Sushi can ultimately vote to fix the problem. You know, if if every screenshot from every company or every organization was, you know, saved and leaked out to the media, you know, every, you know, you'd be a very busy person, right? You'd be reporting on every wrongdoing that every single company and project has ever done in history. So I think it's hard to draw too many conclusions from, from you know, screenshots without context um, or conversations in isolation without context. You know, what I can say is almost everybody that we've ever come across at Sushi, um, whether they're still there or not, 
has had their heart in the right place and has been really a strong believer in in what sushi is trying to build. And I think the next group of people who come in will have the same attitude. And ultimately, that's pretty powerful and pretty awesome, right? Again, it's to me as an investor, it's much harder to get product market fit and to get customers and to get a community and to get traction than it is to fix an internal structure, right? That's the history of distressed investing or the history of activist investing. That's basically what you look for, right? You look for good company, bad management, you oust the management and you start over with, you know, the core business still in place. Independent of, of who the right people are to ultimately lead this forward, it's a fixable problem. And that's what you gravitate toward as an investor. You look for fixable problems, right? You want things that are trading at values that are are way undervalued. I mean, you know, this is the cheapest thing on the planet under any fundamental valuations. It's now down to basically one times forward sales with a fifteen percent dividend yield, um, and a and a, and a in a growing uh, industry and a growing sector. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better as an investor. But you know, there's clearly problems that need to be fixed. So. You know, on the, again, on the one hand, you, you'd probably wish that some of these things were just addressed internally rather than coming to light externally. Um, on the other hand, it's great. You know, it's 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 pushing this to a head, right? It's forcing uh, action. It's forcing the community to now get involved in governance. And I think when some of these things come to a vote, and some of these recent proposals that have been written come to a vote, you're going to see record turnout and record participation. And at the end of the day, if you treat sushi as a microcosm for what we're trying to accomplish with DAOs, it really has a chance to be a, a Harvard Business School case study for how to do this the right way. I'd find it hard-pressed to find anybody who's really rooting against this. Um, you know, you may see individuals attack other individuals or individuals like the, some of the tweets you mentioned who are, you know, saying this is falling apart or this is sad. But if you actually backed up a little bit and said, do you want sushi to succeed or not? Be hard pressed to find anybody who who wants this to fall apart. I, I, I just wouldn't see the benefit of that, right? This is this has a chance to transcend sushi and transcend investors and community members of sushi, and really set the gold standard for how to get internal structures uh, working properly within a DAO. Um, and we really haven't seen that to date, right? There's been some single. Some single entity DAOs, I suppose, that have that have been really easy to run. Like I guess Constitution DAO, since it's fresh in our minds, would be the interesting one, right? Constitution DAO had a single goal: it's let's raise a lot of money and let's go buy a copy of the Constitution. Now, even though they failed to actually secure the the, the copy of the Constitution that they're going after, it was a pretty simple DAO, right? It had a singular purpose: give me some money, we're going to go bid on this, and that was easy. But now look at it, right? Now the people token still trades. They didn't give back all the money. And now they have to figure out, well, what the hell do we do now with <laughs> this DAO that we have? And we need to come up with some sort of a structure. So I think, you know, we've proven that single purpose DAOs are easy ways to attract capital and easy ways to coordinate um, and incentivize like-minded people to do a single action. What we haven't proven yet is how to run, you know, quasi-looking companies or quasi-businesses you know businesses within with lots of different people contributing within a DAO. And, you know, for me, more philosophically, even than as an investor, I'm really rooting for success here. I'm rooting that people can put uh, aside their personalities, people can put aside their pride and everything else and recognize that this is has a chance to be a win for the entire industry. Okay, so in a moment, we're going to unpack some more of the problems and look to what this means for DAOs. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. 
There's a new cryptocurrency made for mobile that you can earn by downloading the Nodal Cash app. It's free, easy to use, and there's no hardware to buy. The Nodal Cash app allows you to earn crypto whether you're on the go, stuck in traffic, or even while you're sleeping. Nodal Cash is the crypto you earn 24-7. Go to nodal.io slash unconfirmed to get started today. That's N-O-D-L-E dot I-O slash unconfirmed. Did you know that exchanges take up to a 25% cut on your staking rewards? But you don't need an exchange to stake. You can run a validator at home. Join thousands of solo stakers, get an Avado device, plug it in, deposit your stake, and earn the full reward. Avado created the best hardware and specific software to stake and keeps your validator on the latest version through auto-updates. One-time investment, 100% profit. Go to Avado. That's A-V-A dot D-O. Back to my conversation with Jeff. So just to finish out the story, Joseph ended up saying that he took a pay cut to leave Dapper Labs to work on Sushi and that he was earning $300,000 a year doing that and said that actually, you know, this sounds like a lot, like a lot of money, but of course he had taken that pay cut. He proposed that via Sushi Swap's governance that all the core developers minus himself be compensated with 200,000 Sushi which was about a million dollars each from the project's treasury with no lockups. And that would have totaled about 18 million. That proposal did not pass. And he tweeted, this was a test to show less than 1% of the issuance going to the core team is controversial. You failed, by the way. So what's your take on how DAOs can and should compensate the core developers? <laughs> sure. Well, my, my first take is that informal Twitter polls by people who are overly stressed out because of a bad situation is probably not necessarily indicative of a failure or succeeding of a right. test. It was, um, it was a sushi governance <laughs> poll. It was a sushi government. Yeah, not, I, yeah, not I, on Twitter. Sure, I, just, I understand, but I, you know, the genesis was there's, there's been a lot of rants going back and forth on Twitter between current and ex-sushi contributors. And, and I think it's been more counterproductive than, than, than productive, regardless of, of, of who may ultimately be right or not. Um, what I think is important from that, though, is there's, there, there's, in our opinion, there's essentially three things that need to be solved here. First is a structure, right? And ARCA actually released its own proposal for a structure, a structure that would put real business leaders in place that could basically be voted on by the community. But ultimately, once they're voted on, they can then make autonomous or uh, they can make autonomous decisions within the organization in terms of onboarding and offboarding employees. Um, understanding who works on what project, et cetera, right? Not everything needs to come to a vote. We need, there needs to be some uh, a line of delineation between what the community who isn't working there day to day is appointing and voting on so, you know, as, as the board of directors versus what the people in-house uh, are actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis to make a project work. So whether our proposal passes or someone else's, you need to set the groundwork first. You need to set a structure that says this is ultimately how this organization is going to work. Once that is completed, then the next vote needs to be, all right, well, who should these leaders be, right? How do you bring certain people in to run the Shoyu NFT pro, uh, platform or to run Trident or to run the Sushi Dex and ultimately have different people across you know, product lines, across marketing, who ultimately have a say in how those internal divisions work? Um, and that could be, you know, contentious, but ultimately that's what the community and the board of directors is for, is to hold, put people in place 
not everyone's going to agree on it. You're never going to get 100% consensus, but you're at least going to get something that is uh, uh, sustainable and that has market approval. But that doesn't come, you know, that's not a lifetime guarantee. That's not a, uh, you know, this isn't Congress where, you know, you're going to have 30, 30 year senators because they just continue to spend the most money to lobby. Like, you know, we're going to have real KPIs and metrics that say, these are the things that you're meant to accomplish. And every three months or six months, whatever that cadence is going to be, you're going to, you know, have to go through another reelection with the community and show that you've done what you said you're going to do. So if we solve for those first two, right, one is structure, two is leadership. The third one is easy, and that's compensation committee, right? There's no doubt that every single person who works on this project should be compensated. Now, whether it's what Joseph DeLong suggested, which is, you know, $18 million across the devs, or whether it's something different, again, these are, these are little details that can be ironed out. But ultimately, those are the three big decisions that the community needs to make. The community needs to understand what's the structure, who are the leaders, and how should people be compensated to ensure that they are you know, uh, on team sushi, right? You want everybody aligned in the same way. You want everybody to be, you know, understand which way is North, make sure they're all have the same goals and the same uh, 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 incentives for doing what's best for sushi. And if the governance can solve for those three things, everything else should be uh, handled internally, right? It doesn't have to be this community guided everything. Um, it should just be the big decisions are guided by the board of directors or the token holders. And everything else is guided internally, subject to them meeting certain KPIs and certain metrics. And it's easier said than done, right? I'm not suggesting that this is an overnight turnaround. Um, but again, you want to back a project that already has this much product market fit, success, passion, et cetera. You just got to get the right structure in there to make it ultimately run. So the proposal that you're talking about was put forward by Alex Woodward on your team and Dean Eigenman of Dialectic. And I noticed that in it, they also suggest that Sushi create a legal entity somewhere. And, you know, obviously for a DAO, that's, it's a little unusual, uh, but I was curious, you know, why do you think that's necessary or helpful for a DAO to have a legal entity? Um, I'm, I'm going to defer legal questions for the time being. But what, what I'll say is when we put proposals out, the idea is to get the community talking and discussing, right? The, the proposal that is out isn't necessarily the exact form that ends up in a vote. Ultimately, the part of the proposal is to get people with different skill sets and different uh, uh, backgrounds to opine and try to come up with what the best structure going forward is. So with regard to you know sushi, they're, you know, ultimately in order to do this, again, this, this falls on the how much centralization versus central decentralization do you want to be along the spectrum? It, you know, the, the legal entity we think would be sort of a bridge to getting to where you need to be for the rest of decentralization. So I'm not going to go into too much detail there because I, uh, you know, there's a lot of lawyers out there who are going to end up opining ultimately on this. But in our opinion, that was the best way to bridge that gap from, you know, starting, uh, bridge that gap along that spectrum. And um, just to clarify, Joseph DeLong himself had also suggested in a tweet that SushiSwap moved to a model that he called a Uniswap Labs style model. And by that, you know, what I took to mean was uh, that there be a legal entity that is then in charge of developing this decentralized protocol. So it, for the legal entity that you put forward in your proposal, is is it the same type of idea? 
Similar, yes. Um, like I said, I think the details were lacking intentionally around that because I think there's some discussions that need to be uh, had with lawyers. But but yes, the similar idea. Okay. And last quick question. So I noticed also that Alex and Dean in their post said that a flat structure was not scalable. And as you've described here, you're suggesting kind of a, a more like a hierarchy uh, that be put in place here. So uh, how, you know, obviously that's kind of a, a model that's more associated with a centralized entity. So I wondered how you felt that that kind of fit with this model of a decentralized autonomous organization, if there is this clear leadership structure in place. Well, again, I think, I think you're getting back to that black and white description of centralized versus decentralized. And, and I think, you know, that's what we have to get away from across this entire industry is that it, it, it's, it can't be fully decentralized or fully centralized because it just doesn't work, right? You have to self fall somewhere on that spectrum. So just because you put some team leaders in place and you have some hierarchies doesn't mean that it's still not decentralized in the sense that bigger decisions would still come to a vote to all stakeholders, right? So, you know, when you, when you think of somebody who, you know, let's take a company, for example, uh, uh, like an Elon Musk or like a Michael Saylor, right? Where they are the CEO, they make all the internal decisions. They also own all of the shares and control the board vote. There's literally nothing you can do to usurp power there, right? It is, is as centralized as you get. And there's almost no solution other than basically the, the court of public pressure <laughs> and then where, where somebody steps down, right? You can still err closer on the side of decentralization where more things come to a vote and you have a deeper, larger, more diversified board of directors who gets to vote on things more frequently, but still have some decisions that are internal where there is a hierarchy and there is a clear, you know, top down delimitation to get things done. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to get things done in, in any flat organization, right? I mean, somebody has to uh, uh, essentially guide a strategy. So, you know, this is just ARCA's idea. Uh, we have a lot of experience, both investing as well as restructuring, as well as working with companies um, uh, uh, as board directors and things like that. We think this is the best path forward, but ultimately it's not our decision either, right? This is going to come to a vote in some form and the community will vote on whether or not this makes sense. So, you know, in some ways it's ironic, right? Let's let's say we put a proposal together that said we want a centralized structure, but we left it up to a vote to the community to vote on that. Well, by definition, is that's actually still decentralized, isn't it? Um, in the sense that that's ultimately not our call, right? There's no one person who can make any call other than propose something that everyone gets to vote on. So this is why for us, this is this is so important to use as an example on how to get these structures right, right? This is not going to stop with just sushi. Uh, independent of the success of sushi or not, the things that we learn from this, you know, not just in this proposal currently and, and what's happening, but, you know, you could go back six months ago, 12 months ago, the things that we're learning from sushi, which is the largest DAO uh, in this industry, are, are going to be a trend setting for all DAOs in the future. So I think it's really important. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm actually sometimes amazed when you see how, how you lose the forest through the trees sometimes on Twitter and everyone's attacking and everyone's, you know, has their personal agenda. And, and, but if you actually asked any of these people, Hey, what's your goal for this? They'd be like, actually, I'm fine. I like sushi. It's a good product. I'd like to see them succeed. Yet all the toxicity comes out in Twitter. And the whole point of governance is to end some of that. And, and, you know, I come from a, I come from a distressed background myself. 
And, you know, I've sat on numerous uh, bankruptcies and restructuring processes. And the first thing that happens in a bankruptcy process is you split everybody into committees. You have your equity committee, you have your creditors committee, you know, whether that's unsecured or secured. And basically what you're doing is you're getting representation across each of the different stakeholders, depending on what they're lobbying for, right? Equity holders want something, unsecured bondholders want something, secured bondholders want something, employees and unions want something. In my opinion, that's where DAOs are headed, right? You, you, you just need, everybody needs to be represented. Um, so maybe you end up having a, you know, a core developer committee and you have a passive investor committee and you have a, um, uh, uh, you know, heavy user committee, um, you know, power user committee. Ultimately, that's probably where you're headed because also, you know, what's really unique and interested about digital assets is it's just one token. We all own the same token, right? So if you measure the success of a project ultimately by the success of the token, which, you know, is debatable, but let's say that's where we're, we're headed. Well, in theory, if everybody owns the same token and they're all incentivized in the same way to have that token go higher, but at the same time, there are little nuances that each different group might want, right? Users might want something a little bit different than developers who might want something different than passive investors. Well, then ultimately, you just need to make sure everybody has a seat at the table to be a part of those discussions. And I think we'll get there. Um, I, you know, I think, again, this is probably the easiest turnaround story you could imagine in digital assets because it already has so much success. And we're just trying to figure out how to fix the internal happiness and structure and alignment and incentives. But hopefully it does, in fact, succeed and it sets uh, a really good precedent for other DAOs in the future. Yeah, well, we'll have to see because the token price is down about 50 percent from a month ago. It's at like roughly six dollars now. So we'll see what happens because certainly this has been a drag on the perception of sushi in the public opinion. But anyway, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. The second worst sell-off this year. The total crypto markets were at roughly $2.6 trillion on Friday night. By Saturday morning, the market had crashed to a low of $2.1 trillion, marking a 19% dip in less than 24 hours. Bitcoin dropped roughly by $10,000 during this period to a low of $45,032, which amounts to a 34.5% price decrease for Bitcoin since its November 9th all-time high. It appears a massive round of liquidations fueled the wild price action. In a blog post, Glassnode explained that high open interest in Bitcoin futures markets could lead to an extremely volatile event. Glassnode wrote, Legacy market weakness on Friday weighed on all assets globally, holding Bitcoin's price around $53,000 and near pivotal technical support. When price failed to hold, sell pressure triggered a cascade of long liquidations. And cascade it did. Data from CoinGlass shows that over $2 billion worth of long positions were liquidated on December 3rd. Overall, $5.4 billion in contracts from the Bitcoin futures open interest market 
were flushed out between Friday and Saturday. This accounts for a 24.5% decrease in the total value of the crypto markets, according to Glassnode. The analytics firm calculates that this was the second largest single-day change in futures open interest this year. The block's Frank Chaparro reported that trading executives believe large institutional selling was also a factor. Chaparro cites one executive saying that a single institution sold more than $500 million in Bitcoin on Friday morning, which resulted in the aggressive liquidations. While the dip was bad news for those who got liquidated, it also left the opportunity to buy the dip, as El Salvador did, scooping up 150 extra coins at a sub $50,000 price. In a turning point, Congress gives crypto a positive reception. On Wednesday, Circle's Jeremy Allaire, FTX's Sam Bankman Fried, BitFury's Brian Brooks, Paxos's Chad Cascarilla, Stellar's Danelle Dixon, and Coinbase's Alicia Haas appeared before members of Congress to discuss digital assets and the future of finance in a House Financial Services Committee hearing. According to the block, the crypto execs and Congress covered topics such as stablecoin regulation and issuance, the idea of a crypto-focused regulator, and the overarching theme of consistent crypto regulation across government regimes. Overall, outside of a few straight comments from Representative Brad Sherman, the crypto execs were met with apparent curiosity from most members of Congress. Web3 can empower anyone, said Representative Anthony Gonzalez, for example. The meeting, which took nearly five hours, seemed to be a success. Bankman Fried, the CEO of FTX, tweeted, I came in expecting some hostility and grandstanding, but instead found the discussion to be by and large productive and helpful. However, not all is rosy with regulators. Coinbase, whose CEO Brian Armstrong has expressed unhappiness with U.S. crypto regulation and who did not attend the hearing, is launching a DeFi platform that will allow users to earn yields on DAI deposits. Customers in 70 countries will have access to yields fluctuating between 2.83% and 5.39%. However, the U.S. will not be one of those countries, as the SEC recently threatened to sue the exchange if it were to launch a yield product. In related regulatory news, William Burns, director of the Central Intelligence Agency, told the Wall Street Journal this week that the CAA has multiple projects keeping track of the cryptocurrency industry. In response to a question about ransomware, Burns revealed that his predecessor had set in motion a number of different projects focused on cryptocurrency and trying to look at second and third order consequences as well, and helping with our colleagues in other parts of the U.S. government to provide solid intelligence on what we're seeing. Polygon acquires another ZK platform. Polygon, a sidechain working to scale Ethereum, announced the acquisition of Mir Protocol, a zero-knowledge proof project, in a deal worth $400 million in Polygon's native token, Matic. The move comes after a similar deal with Polygon and ZK Project Hermes, which was a $250 million merger. Overall, Polygon has pledged to spend $1 billion on scaling Ethereum. What happens after a DAO hack? BitMart and BadgerDAO take two different approaches. BitMart, a centralized exchange, lost $196 million worth of various cryptocurrencies on Saturday. Sheldon Zia, BitMart's CEO, tweeted that the security breach was caused by a stolen private key that had two of our hot wallets compromised, which led to the loss of $100 million in Ethereum assets and $96 million in Binance Smart Chain assets. According to Zia, BitMart will use its own funds to compensate victims, 
to protect against a future breach, BitMart replaced all of its deposit addresses for all tokens. The aftermath of last week's BadgerDAO hack, in which the DeFi protocol lost roughly $120 million, is a bit more complicated. The exploit was a front-end attack that allowed hackers to change user transactions made on the website to steal funds. Celsius Network, a centralized lender, was one of the addresses affected by the BadgerDAO hack. We are working with Badger to recover all those funds. We are collaborating with them on the investigation. CEO Alex Mashinsky said in a live stream last week, confirming Celsius's involvement. On Twitter, there is speculation that Celsius lost roughly $50 million in the exploit. The insurance protocol used by BadgerDAO, Nexus Mutual, will most likely not pay out funds to compensate users, as its insurance coverage does not cover front-end attacks. That being said, Celsius Network's Twitter account claims that no Celsius client and user assets were affected. The account also says the Celsius Network has traced the attacker and reported that information to Badger. OpenSea is not IPOing. In an interview with Bloomberg on Monday, OpenSea's newly hired CFO Brian Roberts made a comment about the NFT marketplace holding an initial public offering, or IPO. When you have a company growing as fast as this one, you'd be foolish not to think about it going public, explained Roberts. He added, I've seen a lot of P&Ls, profit and loss statements, but I've never seen a P&L like this. Community backlash on crypto Twitter was swift, as many had speculated that OpenSea will be the next big airdrop to be released. On Tuesday, the CTO set the record straight on Twitter, writing, There was inaccurate reporting about OpenSea's plans. There is a big gap between thinking about what an IPO might eventually look like and actively planning one. We are not planning an IPO, and if we ever did, we would look to involve the community. Roberts previously worked as the CFO for Lyft, where he led the ride-sharing app to a successful IPO. A Solana bug was patched, saving $27 million an hour in the process. A bug in the Solana program library, an integral collection of open-source code for Solana programmers, was patched this week after sitting unnoticed for months. According to Neodyme, an auditor, the bug could have resulted in $2.6 billion in total value locked being at risk, with hundreds of millions in potential profit for hackers. In a blog post, Neodyme explained that one of its auditors initially found a seemingly innocuous bug in June. However, on December 1st, Neodyme noticed the vulnerability was still not patched. The team then calculated that the seemingly small exploit, which looked like a tiny rounding error, could be harvested at a rate of $7,500 a second, or $27 million an hour. Neodyme quickly contacted the at-risk Solana projects and got the bug patched, a task that proved tougher than originally thought due to many Solana projects being closed source. Crypto Adoption Roundup Every day, Web3, crypto, blockchain technology, whatever you want to call it, seems to move another step toward the mainstream, as evidenced by five well-known companies making crypto moves this week. First, the tokenization of Reddit. On Wednesday, Reddit expanded its community points program, opening up a waitlist for subreddits who wish to mint their own token. These points, which are awarded to users for being active in the community, are currently distributed through an Ethereum testnet. Looking forward, Reddit is exploring Arbitrum, an Ethereum Layer 2 solution. Need a crypto consultant? Call Visa. Visa, the financial payments giant, unveiled a new initiative to help clients navigate the wild world of crypto. Dubbed Visa's Crypto Advisory Practice, 
The new arm plans to offer expertise in crypto-related activities like NFTs or CBDCs. Kickstarter disrupts itself. Kickstarter, the Web2 crowdfunding OG, announced plans to build an open, decentralized protocol that offers the same services as the centralized crowdfunding platform on the Celo blockchain. Kickstarter's first step is to build an open-source version of its core crowdfunding functionality on which anyone, including competitors, could build. WhatsApp enters the metaverse. A new WhatsApp pilot, the Meta-owned messaging app, allows users in the U.S. to send and receive crypto within a chat. Disclosure, I write a newsletter for Meta's bulletin. The pilot is being powered by Novi, Meta's digital wallet, and uses Paxos' stablecoin, USDP. This mainstream game developer is launching playable NFTs. Ubisoft, the major gaming company behind Assassin's Creed and Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint, unveiled plans for an in-game NFT integration through a platform called Ubisoft Quartz. The NFTs, dubbed Digits, will be hosted on Tezos. To start, Digits will be playable on Ubisoft's Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint PC game. However, the Ubisoft community was unhappy with the announcement, with its YouTube trailer about Quartz receiving a 96% dislike rating over 22,000 votes. Time for fun bits! Mongoose coin! (laughs) Brad Sherman, a California representative, was the most dissenting voice regarding the crypto industry during this week's aforementioned Crypto Meets Congress meeting. At one point, Sherman said, The number one threat to cryptocurrency is crypto. He added, Bitcoin could be displaced by Ether, which could be displaced by Doge, although I think he pronounced it Dodge, which could be displaced by Hamstercoin. He didn't stop there, continuing down the crypto food chain. <laughs> and, then, and then there is Cobra Coin, said Sherman. And what could Mongoose Coin do to Cobra Coin? This being crypto, the home of memes, a slew of Mongoose-themed coins popped up shortly after the session on Binance Smart Chain, Polygon, and Avalanche, with Decrypt reporting the BSC version jumping as high as 61,000%. All right, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Jeff, Arca, and recent events at Sushi Schwab, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.